the Protect Your Neck Podcast, UFC Vegas 47 Breakdown, picks, plays, and whatever else comes our way. Let's go to work. Hot air hangs like a dead man from a white oak tree. People sitting on porches thinking how things used to be. Dark night. It's a dark night. Dark night. It's a dark night. What is up, you savages? This is the Protect Your Neck Podcast, and I'm your host, Dan Tom. Analyst is work you can find over at MMA Junkies, as well as oddscheckerus.com. But on this year program, the Protect Your Neck Podcast, we break down high level MMA. That's what we're going to do here today tonight. Whenever you listen to this, hopefully it's before the fight. Recording this, uh, the wee hours of Friday morning, Las Vegas time for a UFC Vegas 47. Irish Spring. Uh, I don't even know. I started off Scottish. Why'd I go with Irish Spring? Uh, UFC Fight Night 200. Oh, shit. And uh, what better way to, you know, bring it in with Hermanson versus Strickland? UFC Fight Night? That's what we're going to break down. Check the timestamps for when that starts uh, from top to bottom. Uh, I don't think I did it last week or the week before, but uh, I usually recap my picks and plays also at the very end if you're in a rush or just really like my picks as well as really don't want to listen to me, which I get. Um, yeah, that's always an, an available addition for the most part uh, for you on this here program. Usually just a couple quick notes or recap. Uh, both will be very quick and it's pretty much just going to be the breakdown today, but we'll still timestamp nonetheless. Got a couple shout-outs I wanted to give um, as well. Uh, uh, feeling better, sounding better. Can't remember what I was at last time I talked to you guys. But, yeah, the uh, uh, the, the what's been mild for, for, for many, uh, maybe not many, that's irresponsible to say, but... What I see get reported as mild uh, for many uh, was not for me, which is why, uh, you know, um, well, that's not why I've been taking it fucking serious before I got the damn thing. But I'm feeling better for those of you asking and those of you sending well wishes. The more important part, don't worry, not going to go into a rant there. But, uh, but yeah, it, it's, uh, uh, we'll see. I mean, wishing the best for everybody, including myself long term. But as of right now, yeah. Yeah, feeling a little better. Going to try to get back to things if the world just, you know, doesn't stop piling on your boy, as you guys know. We're coming off an off week of the UFC, we'll quickly, briefly uh, recap my one play on Bellator. But as you know, on these UFC off weeks, um, they're so few and far between. And I'm so ever far behind that I tend to stack my plans. Um, in many ways, work, you know, trying to do top five shows car stuff, house stuff, whatever, you know, personal stuff, um, you know, seeing the girlfriend, all these things that you want to do, and uh, so you, you make these, I, I may I end up stacking these weeks, and the universe, like the MMA injury bug, they get word about it, you know, like, oh, you excited for this matchup, are you? <laughs> Hold my fucking beer. Um, and I've now had, like, record of this in this podcast since, like, roughly 2017 or so. Of uh, these constant thwartings, it's almost comical at this point. Like, you know, like I said before in this podcast, I can't even enjoy those like Meet the Parents movies because it hits too close to home. That's right, fictional comedy is not comedy or fictional for me <laughs> because I'm like that, that feels like my life. 
you know, uh, just just anyways. I and and not trying to play the violin here. Very grateful, plenty to be grateful about. But yeah, in case you are like, you know, shout out to the YouTube crowd, uh, James Young over there, wondering like, hey Dan, where's those video promises? Or you know, maybe any of the crowd that's been listening to this show since 2016, 2017, uh, be like, hey, where the hell's Stitcher and Spotify? I'll probably be a little. I'm gonna be a little late to the party to join Spotify. No, I'm gonna be the little. I'm clearly late to the party to join everything because I'm just stupid. Um, but yeah, the, the these are these are the reasons why, folks. So, uh, you know, I'll, I'll save you. Everyone's, uh, you know, everyone's okay. The dogs did get into another fight again. It's funny too. Is just like shout out to my guy Tony C. There, longtime listener of the podcast. Um, he benefited off of this last play, so I hope you guys did too. And even though Tony's VIP for life, I, I he's one of the many listeners I would like to uh, have beers and, and most definitely owe some beers too. Uh, but he still continues to come through and support the pod. Um, shouts to the uh, PayPal link over at MixedMarshallAnalyst.com, the website that supports this here show. Hosts some of my old works. You can find Linktree to it. Quick links on my Linktree uh, social media is like Dan at DanTomMMA, where you can find me on Twitter. But, uh, yeah, man, um, and we were just bullshitting outside of the fights and the bets and the, the, the thank yous, the brouhaha's, and just, kind of, you know. Um, and I'm sure you won't mind me saying this, but you know, he's just like, oh, man, but we luck, you know, changes with the this or that. And my quick reactions is downplay, you know. Like I, said, like I just said before to you guys, I'm plenty to be grateful for. You know, it's it's fine. Yeah, it's not that bad. He's like, he's like, no, man. I mean, you dog fights, uh, COVID. You can start like listing everything because I'm, you know, more honest than I realize on this this year program. And uh, and I was like, yeah, you put it that way. It, it, yeah, I hope we, I hope the ship writes too. And uh, don't worry, Tony. I'm not throwing any jinx or anything on you. This is just the jinx that again I I, I laid out and live with. But uh, sure enough, the dogs have been good. Maybe two fights in the last like half a year now, if anything. They were light ones. It was another light one, but the, the dogs got no fight again. I don't know if it was the commotion of me setting up the, you know, things were getting shifted around as I set up this new desk I'm recording on. And uh, the girlfriend came over to help me. And then these, she seems, I don't think get protective around her, but she seems to be the common factor. Either her or my mom, less so my mom, mainly her. And I was in the shower. And, um,. And my, my dog Ben was just checking out the sniffing the box, and, and Brownie just jumped up from my girlfriend's lap to off off the bed, and just they just started going at him. Um, when I came out, you know, butt naked from the shower like Vigo Mortens, and you know, in Eastern Promises, shouts to uh, Ed Gallo who broke down that naked shower scene and the wrestling of it. If you too would like to make crazy requests or see that request go down from a perverted patron like myself. Uh, go check out thefightsite.com and uh, support them on Patreon. But uh, uh, Naked Vigo Mortensen, Naked, where the hell was I going? That kind of threw me off there, not going to lie. Oh, yeah, I, I, you know, the dogs stopped without me having to get involved, thankfully. Uh, you know, just, just me coming out. Uh, they got scared of, uh, of Daddy. Uh, and, but my dog uh, broke a, a nail pretty bad, uh, like all the way up to the paw, so they have to get some minor surgery on that this week. And then the other dog threw up all over the car uh, when I was, you know, taking my mom home uh, as I as I transport her on the daily. 
and uh, my dog decided to throw up all over the car and everything, which was great today. So kind of set the podcast back again. Um, I'm sorry to be that unreliable dude here uh, who just keeps promising Thursdays and, and I'm, I'm here crawling you on a Friday. But I did a decent amount of tape study with the distractions um, and with help from other resources as well, like interviews. Um, shout out to my guy, by the way, uh, James Lynch, uh, at Lynch on Sports. Uh, I feel like I, I always have, have shouted out and used interviews as a resource and cited that on this here on this program. But I feel like I... I, I uh, was coming across this stuff more than usual this week, and uh, I'm always grateful for everybody that does the grind. There was many others out there um, that I got to get better at shouting out, conducting interviews and whatnot. But um, you know, the, the fighters are gonna lie, and you know, I'm, uh, you shouldn't base your picks, much less your plays, off them solely. But they are very, very helpful, and want to tip my hat to the interviewers doing the grinds, especially for fight night cards like these, right? Um, but yeah, uh, Tony C, myself, many others seem to have cashed on Master Bader uh, at Bellator last week, Bellator 273. That was sweet. Um, and uh, and yeah, uh, perfect. I do got to say, um, Moldovsky did better than I thought, and his grappling was it was more effective than I thought it would be. Uh, the folk style. Um, all you know, uh, wasn't exactly uh, the proverbial kryptonite I thought it would be. And, and to my credit, you know, Bader himself was surprised. I mean, no one ever takes him down like that, and that really surprised him. I did like that he addressed it in the post-fight interview. He kind of broke it down to the weird step-over uh, that Moldovsky was doing to get position. Uh, and it really kind of kind of threw him off because, you know, he's just... Bader's just not used to that. Um so credit to Moldovsky there, but his striking was abysmal. You know, Bader almost knocks him out in the first round. Maybe could have finished the job if he didn't shoot. And I think Danny Segura from MMA Junkie made this point, which was great. You know, and because I, I did also see, you know, Bader did show some signs of tiring, but was I would argue um, still had to output more, both defensive, excuse me, and offensively, which is what. Ultimately, won him the fight, um, and it was you know, but it a it was a high pace you know because I again I was standing hard against Moldovsky overvalued. I still f- feel that way. I still don't feel like you can justify it despite him making it closer. Than he should have you know no one should have been laying that chalk um, on Moldovsky, um, especially if you watch the tape and. Um, I was gonna say, oh yeah, but uh, but the gas thing, you know, Danny Segura brought up that he, when you almost get a finish, you know, it's it's really excusable to almost gas out, especially at heavyweight. And Bader still went another four rounds, ended up you know winning the final, fifth and final. Um, again, impact. Uh, Moldovsky had impact with a takedown, and he went for two punches, but it wasn't like it wasn't as much offense as Nganu had in round five. Um, overall, much less the end flurry, which is what sealed it for me with Nagane winning round five against Gaunt, you know. Um, I still had him arguably winning, but I was getting worried at the end until he landed those last flurry of hard punches because he was you were still he was still leaving it in that territory where, well, who actually did the more damage, right? Uh, which is what we saw how Bader and Moldovsky was scored. And to Moldovsky's credit, not only did he get um, one takedown, but two... 
uh, at least two. Uh, he had more than that, I, th- I believe. But you know, a lot of these were Matt returns or Bader was up, and then they fought from the stymie stalled position. I don't know how much you want to count those. I don't care to argue them, uh, to be honest, because there wasn't really anything done um, done with them. But um, but yeah, uh, what was I fucking saying? Shit. I don't know where I was. Tra- I was trailing off there, folks. Um, but yeah, it, it, I, it did the damage. I think was you know yeah. Oh yeah, the takedown. Um, it was impactful. That final one, you know, his impact is in the uh, judges' criteria. Uh, but again, it wasn't. <clears throat> it wasn't that big. I still thought Bader was winning the striking in the first part of the round, and not only was he doing all those elbows that you can't ignore, but again, part of the thing what I was saying with uh, Scott. Uh, Fontana on our uh, bad judging episode is a lot of the common thread list that I, I listed, right? Um, was blood, uh, body language, whether it's gassing or acknowledging shots, right? Um, and even like that's, you know, when it's eye po- when, whether it's an eye poke or a punch that hits the eye, when the fighter acknowledges it, you know, Bobby Green, Tiago Moises, a lot of these like close, closer fights, like that can be it because you know if we're judging on impact and damage. Well, that definitely impacted his vision, and the ref just said it was a legal shot, or the ref didn't call a foul, so I have to treat it as not, um, I guess hypothetically, right? So you you do those things, and when not only was Bader elbowing, but he actually got Maldowski to react to it, like put his hand up, like it bothered him, and he actually changed his level voluntarily back up. Um, and I think that that body language right there was more was the most effective thing in the round, uh, off those elbows. So yeah, no, no issues there. Um, all right, thirteen forty. Let's get into UFC Vegas forty seven, UFC Fight Night two hundred, UFC Ermanson versus Strickland. Um, main event breakdown up as I speak. MMAJunkie.com, Sean Strickland, minus 225. Jack Ermanson, minus 185, uh, plus 185. Um, I officially picked Strickland and picked Strickland by decision, but in no way. This is another thing where it's like like Maldowski. The dog is live, but not as live, obviously, because I'm not picking him, much less confident. Um, this is the opposite, where I'm, I'm not confident at all in my pick, and I'm picking the favorites. I picked a two-to-one dog, and you listen to how confident I was, right? And I put my money where my mouth is. Uh, I'm picking a two-to-one favorite, and I could not be confident in this in the slightest. Uh, part of me, unbiased as an analyst, you know, will tell you the things you may have already heard or know yourself, that Jack Hermanson... It's a dangerous submission grappler, and we haven't seen anybody try to really apply that, much less shoot takedowns at Strickland at this run at 185 in the UFC. He's had two runs, uh, plus his regional scene, which puts him at 18-0. Um, I've seen 19-0 out there, but I think that's because you really got to look, and one of it's a 195 catchweight. I'm not talking about the one with Brandon Allen. He actually had another catchweight at 195, which he also won on the regionals in King of the Cage. Uh, where he has his middleweight title. Um, but, yeah, he's actually 18-0 overall, and as impressive as that is, we still really haven't seen him against that meaningful, you know, I think his first fight in against Bubba McDaniel could wrestle and grapple, but we saw Sean Strick- Strickland kind of take over that department and really handle himself well, and that was a scrawny Sean Strickland, a pre-team quest, pre-worked on his wrestling Sean Strickland, and, again, he still had that jab, and he still had some really good grappling wherewithal, which are going to be... Uh, that plus pressure will be keys to this fight. 
And <clears throat> Hermanson noted in interviews, shout out to my guy uh, Aaron Bronstetter, while I'm shouting out Canadian interviewers, right? Uh, a weekly resource, of course, the TSN MMA show. Um, he, he uh, you know, he, he says that he, you know, Jack Hermanson's a smart guy, and he, he, he's like, hey, this, you know, Sean needs pressure, but I don't think he's going to be able to do it with me. Well, the problem with that is is that even though Sean Strickland has definitely had his back foot jabbing performances, and Sean Strickland is definitely not as good off the back foot, and Jack knows that, that even though Jack can pressure and has had performances back from, you know, Cage Warrior days to uh, decent stretches in the Marvin Vittori fight um, where he will pressure forward, right? But a lot of times, more often than not, in the beginning of the fights especially, as he gets his feel, he really does more of an in-and-out, bounce-around, stick-and-move, play on the outside, or can be convinced to play on the outside. So when it comes to who's going to pressure early or more consistently or more aggressively, um, i got to go Strickland. Now, that could play into Hermanson if Hermanson decides to, you know, I'm sure he's going to make a couple at least, you know, strafing runs, if you will, for uh, not just takedowns but just pressureful offense with strikes to boot. Um, he's mentioned that, that he can't just rely on his wrestling. And that's the thing that kind of worries me because Hermanson kind of self-admittedly says his wrestling is not nowhere near as good as his submission grappling, which worries me. And part of me thought that maybe he was just saying that because, you know, he's still a bit defensive of the uh, Kamshat Shemaev uh, loss, saying, hey, it was a wrestling match, not a submission grappling match. It'd be different if submission grappling. I already knew he was strong for his frame, right? Um, and we'll talk about another long welterweight who's really strong for his frame coming up. But, um, you know, it, it, it's that even when he was processing or, or talking about the, Stri uh, the Strickland fight, he still stuck with some of those points, which, hey, he's being consistent with what he says. And when a person's telling you who they are, believe them, right? One way or another. Uh, but he, he said that his, his wrestling self-admittedly isn't good enough, so he really has to mix it more with strikes. And that was the thing that swayed me, right? Um, I went and looked, and, you know, you can just look at stats, and stats never tell a story, but, <clears throat> you know, you can look at stats just to find out that, yes, Strickland, like I said earlier, hasn't been pressed in the wrestling department, um, both by the numbers or by notable presences, uh, when he did, you know, that could do it. Um, kind of lacking that sample size, but just overall takedowns landed on him. I went back on the UFC and watched, watched them all. And most of them are like well-timed reactionary doubles in the open while he's both coming forward and leg-kicking on one leg. Like, you know, uh, and the only time where he really doesn't get up from those immediately is, or reverse position, is against Kamara Usman, which is understandable because A, it's Usman, and in B, when you go back and rewatch the fight, you forget that he probably knocked knocked him out in the second, Strickland out in the second round, and Strickland just kind of uh, flashed and woke back up. Um, but I don't even know if you remember the, the last half of that fight. Uh, you know, there's a there's a clear 10-8 in round two. Um, and even in the early takedowns in round one, like, if someone as good as Usman had to chain, um, it was a reactionary double, which wasn't enough. It was later on in the fight after he really did kind of just beat down Sean in a, in a submission, not literal submission, but you know what I mean. Um but he would have to do like a level change, uh, push him into the fence from there, chain down to a high crotch, lift, and then chain back off to a double kind of a deal. Like he had to put like multiple attacks together. 
And Herm Hermanson is good at putting multiple attacks together for submissions. Um, but not so much takedowns. Uh, from the clinch, he can put, put two together. Uh, as most of his takedowns come from the clinch, upper body against the cage, which makes sense because it's more of a Greco base uh, when uh, Hermanson did wrestle. Hermanson? Uh, he reminds me of the guy from, uh, like I tweeted area, like Army of Thieves and Army of uh, the Dead or whatever. Uh, there's, a, there's a guy in there. Um, I forget his name offhand, but uh, looks just like him. Um, but yeah, like that's where also where Strickland defends best from the clinch and in, in the cage. Again, they have to be opportunistic or you better really good be a really good wrestler. And when I was watching both, you know, in his fights and even in the wrestling match against Cumshot, uh, um, I noticed that Hermanson, um, his entries actually aren't that bad uh, in the open. But when he gets to his knees, and I'm the last person that can be critiquing him or anybody on their wrestling, but again, from what I know and experience myself and yada yada, and just from observation, um, even though he's a, he's a decently strong guy and a decently strong middleweight, um, his explosion and finishing power and drive just doesn't seem to be there. Um, so he's really going to have to depend on catching the perfect takedown, kind of catching Strickland off guard, uh, really making things ugly in the clinch, and or when either of those fail, uh, which he's done before, uh, it dropped down for the leg lock, right? And then force the grappling that way, maybe come up on top if he doesn't get it. Um, Strickland could have a bad leg from the motorcycle accident, accident which is a, a suspicion which is why I really wanted to see him uh, defend shots more since he's returned from the accident and up at middleweight. However, as we saw in some of his fights, um, his wrestling's, you know, like I believe in the Yucko fight and uh, Hall fight, uh, especially toward, you know, later rounds, um, his wrestling seemed to be intact and wasn't missing a beat offensively. I know it's different from defense, but as far as knees changing level or any suspicions there, I didn't really see that. So... It's kind of another reason why um, I went with Strickland. And I know Strickland's kind of moved away from his grappling, but his, his skills are still there. I mean, he probably should be a black belt by now if he stuck with the gi because uh, he's been a brown belt forever. Um, and, you know, he's natural for this weight class. Not going to be too much of a size difference, I don't believe. Uh, so, you know, I think uh, Strickland... I wouldn't be surprised if he gets it in inside the distance. Part of me thinks that, you know, as mean as he, uh, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll briefly touch on that before we go on, don't worry. Uh, this The persona he tries to put on, um, I do think that the training and knowing Uriah uh, got to him, and I think he could have finished that fight and didn't. Um, I don't think he consciously made that choice, but I think that's what was going on subconsciously there. Um, and no, I'm not picking him because... He is training more out of Extreme Couture these days to the point where I put it on his camp. Um, oh, I haven't talked to Eric about him, to be honest. Not since before his last fight with Hall. Uh, even though I joked on Twitter, I forget breaking down that fight. Uh, I hit up Eric to see if he was training. Like, you know, because I wanted to know what gym to put on. And, and, and Eric's like, nah, he's more of a syndicate. And to Eric's credit, of course, he came out with John Wood for that fight. Um, this fight, it appears to be different. Obviously, it is different. So, uh, you know, Extreme Couture is on my breakdown. Um, but I don't know how much there is a really a bias to state here because I'm not seeing to play it, and it's not the reason why I'm picking him is because he's going to have Eric Nixick in the corner, although that's obviously a plus, him in any corner. 
But Sean's a wild man, man. And uh, just because I, I love my guy Nick Diskin he's, and he's in, in his corner, that doesn't mean that's the reason why he's picking him. And I'm not going to defend anything this guy says because of that. In fact, it, it's it's super problematic. I've been saying this forever. I've been one of the longer media people that's been just like, you know, not just calling it out, but calling other people out how we're just giving this attention. And to to whatever credit you can give Strickland, he even called that process out. He called it what it is. He goes, look, you guys are, he's like, he goes, we have a problem in this, you know, I don't know if he said country or world, but both are pretty correct, uh, depending on the perspective. But it's, um, we got a problem with giving attention to negative bullshit and clicky bullshit or whatever you want to call it. And he's like, you know, he's like, look, you guys are doing it to me. And then I've long been preaching that message, you know. Kind of like that Simpsons tweet with Milhouse and Bart running the factory. I said, this is like a metaphor for MMA. Like, that thought actually started off as a metaphor for watching Sean Strickland. Like, you know, Milhouse is supposed to watch the watch the factory. And then Bart comes the next day and it's collapsed. And Milhouse is just standing there. And he's like, Milhouse, I, I, I paid you to be security. I paid you to watch this place. And Milhouse is like, I did watch. I watched it shake. I watched it tumble. I watched it fell. I'm like, that feels like the MMA media most most days and most topics. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I'm not going to be surprised when this guy does something really dark and twisted, and I hope people that I care about, like Eric, <laughs> Eric obviously wouldn't be involved, you know what I mean, like, or just nowhere near, no one I care about is near the guy when he goes off. Um, but, like, w- would any of us be surprised? And I hope any... Anybody who's you know promoted him, especially media and people who have a certain responsibility, um, yeah, I, I hope they hear that voice scratching at their conscience. Um, because yeah, I mean it's just bullshit. Even and what's up? And I know Kevin Holland is like, and by the way, that's another thing I called forever ago. Like I, I think I even wrote it in an article or something. Like oh, they should match up. Uh, I said it on a podcast. I mean, they should match up Kevin Holland and. Uh, Sean Strickland, it was like after Strickland's uh, fight against the last Jack, his first fight back. I was saying that. Um, but Kevin Holland, despite being the smack man and, and, and talking, um, so like you can't be surprised when people come at him, but like, what's up with people being fucking racist? Like, you got fucking cum shot calling him the help. And then you got, you know, Sean Strickland, which people totally miss in the story. And, what you know, granted, there are other problematic things to focus on, like him... Uh... His his barometer, despite being a fighter, is not that he can kick a man's ass. It's that if he can rape a man, uh, and the fact that you know you know prison styles is something you know, definitely red flag city, obviously. But uh, so I, I I don't blame you for focusing on that. But I I didn't see anybody focus on the. Uh, and again, I'm not fucking language police over here. But goddamn man, like what's up with Kevin Holland getting like you know, uh, fucking racially charged uh, tonal shit, you know, from, like, the help from Cumshot to uh, Sean Strickland calling him. Uh, I said, uh, what are you going to do about it, boy? Uh, like, and then he, and then Kevin got mad at me. I don't know. We talked crap online. We saw each other in person. But then when I said something that said, when I called him boy, for whatever reason, he won't. <laughs> like, I wonder why, Sean. I wonder why. Um... Uh, says the form says the self uh, self proclaimed former skinhead. So yeah, yeah, I could totally picture 
and nothing against anybody who likes, especially like early '90s 5.0s. But there was just if you saw like early '90s Mustang 5.0, like minus 500, minus 5,000. It's a white dude. Minus 500. He is uh, minus 500. He has a shaved head, and, and minus 300. That that, that that is a tank top. Either just wife beater, uh, and and that's what they probably call it. Uh, or uh, at least underneath. But I could totally see Sean Strickland like in the late '90s, early in the early 2000s, late '90s, just with a bag baggy pair of black dickies, a baggy white T-shirt. You know the shaved head, the fucking natural born killers look in his eye. Fucking hell. Um, part of me is definitely rooting for Jack Hermanson. The betting value is on Jack Hermanson. I like Jack Hermanson. As you can tell, I am not a fan of Sean Strickland, but. As a guy who's trying to be an unbiased analyst here, Sean Strickland is the pick. Um, I officially picked him by decision, but if you can find plus money, which is starting to pop up, under four and a half is a, you know, mathematically nice bet. If you can find it at plus number, it's really easy to justify that at the very least. And if you think Strickland finishes, I would think that it acts as a hedge for the submission upset on Hermanson. So unless you're looking at an under four and a half for plus money, Stay away, motherfucker. Just one of those days. Um, alright, next fight. Uh Puna Heli Soriano Puna. Minus one ninety, Nick Maximov. Plus one sixty. I was thinking this could be and this could maybe in retrospect look like a complete mismatch where you could lay the minus one ninety straight up. Um and be justified in doing so, you know? Uh regardless of res- uh, even if the result goes your way, uh, but you know. Uh, beyond that, the result, I guess I should say. Um, that being said, I think it's a tricky call to to take that uh, Puna plus money inside the distance. It could obviously happen. I'll be happy if it does. I'm picking Puna. I may put him in a parlay because Bet Online is not letting me put my other third leg. Uh, <laughs> no, not that one. Don't worry, folks. <laughs> oh, not sure how much of a return I'd get on that, but <laughs> um, but no, for uh, Puna. It's here's what the tricky thing is. I actually lay a little bit on plus three hundred, which I feel like you should get more for a decision prop. But uh, Pune has shown that he can go to decision, win or lose, and kind of fight hard. Um, uh, shouts to my guy uh, uh, Dan Levy from Half the Battle over there. I think he, he, he when we did the uh, what was it line movement uh, betting show we used to do. Uh, he referred to Puna as Hawaiian Vitor, and I like that, of course, right? But, you know, he, he actually, in a certain way, and this is going to sound crazy, not uh, not looks, not style, not acumen, not ceiling, um, but he reminds me of Justin Gaethje. Hold on. In the fact that Puna does, in the fact that he can fight, he, he, he will clearly get tired after the seven-minute mark, but... He is still dangerous and can fight tired. Uh, Justin has always shown that. Um, but it's that he had to sharpen it over the years, right? And different fighters, different arcs, different ceilings, granted. But in that theme, from that perspective, boy, do they seem the same. Because Puna, it's like part of me, it's like, well, I, I you know, the promotional hype and the Dana White hype definitely can overhype a guy like this is power. And, you know, the betting hype and all these things, right? 
But at the same time, I think just the pound for pound, the non-stopping power, but just the power that's there and even late into a fight, perhaps could be underrated. Um, and that's where I see a lot of that Gaethje kind of liveliness uh, in him. Uh, Maximoff also seems like he could be deceptively... T- if he's got a chin on him, I think he's going to be real tough to stop because he can both wrestle and grapple. I don't know how much wrestling experience he has, but he looks like he wrestled. If you watch what you can earlier of him, his wrestling doesn't look as good. So uh, it could have been a thing where he doesn't have that much experience and he just caught on fast, or he barely has had experience and he just really kind of learned as he did MMA and jiu-jitsu, which he kind of goes back and forth between. Um, he looks like he can hide his head. He looks like he's got great survivability as far as grappling goes, right? Um, and grappling is definitely his instinct. Um, and even whether he's winning or, you know, whether he's, and if he's not surviving, even if he's winning, he is, uh, you know, perhaps not, you know, suspect to a lot of actions on that Cody Brundage fight where, you know, a couple moves and exchanges go a little different. And again, Brundage is probably winning a Bader Moldovsky like decision there, right? It was, it was, it was, it was deceptively closer um, than some may realize. And uh, if this, his big head and ability to go fight from heavyweight to middleweight translates to a chin, um, then I see scenarios where it's, and again, Puna, obviously he's done this, so no one should be surprised. I'm picking him, and I may be playing him, so it's it'd be no surprise uh, if Puna gets a highlight reel knockout, but I think he has to hit this kid perfect for a highlight reel knockout, kind of put him out, not allow him, not punch him back awake, just a clean, it has to be a clean kill, which Nick Sick and those guys drill, so again, don't be surprised, but here's the thing is that if he doesn't get a clean kill, if he gets anything in between the wobbly zones of Maximoff being 75% conscious, 50% conscious, 25% conscious, any of the ranges besides unconscious, I feel like this cat is shooting for a takedown. Um, I'm, I'm hoping Puna's smart enough to not drop for guillotine. I haven't seen him do that. Uh, you can't accuse him of grappling when maybe he shouldn't, but that is kind of just his, uh, that's more like taking shots and whatnot, and I don't think Maximoff has a guillotine. Um, win anywhere, I don't believe. But the submission to watch out for Maximoff is Ikimura because Puna will shoot, and he does have really good top pressure and a good good top game. Um, but he's really heavy on the shoulders, and I play I play a very similar way, a very wrestler-style top game. And the problem with that is you can give your head uh, or you can give your shoulder if you're kind of that 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 shoulder pressure, forward pressure, happy um, legs. And I'm doing leg work too, obviously. And so is and, and Puna's legs uh, seem fairly educated in grappling positions. But if you see his op- opponents, I, I believe in two or three times in his UFC fights get Kimura catches, including his contender series. And one of them's decently close. He gets to maneuver, but I, I you know, again, I, I like the way he maneuvers. But even his maneuvering, he does a north-south circle out, and again, he's heavy into the shoulder. Everything is heavy, right? And Maximov has Kimura wins to his name. Will go for Kimuras, um, and just like how he talks like Nate, uh, 
he got he has similar sensibilities too. So if like someone's trying to take him down or reverse the wrestling, sometimes you'll see him try to stymie the takedown attempt against the cage with a figure four lock, right? Uh, himself. So that's going to be the submission to watch for from Maximoff. Um, especially because since I'm picking Puna, I believe that Puna is going to be the better wrestler. He is on paper. Puna wrestled at a, he was a state champion uh, wrestler, but he also wrestled uh, at a division two level. Um, I want to say in the Midwest, maybe at the same college, uh, maybe the same college Wartburg in Iowa, possibly. But uh, yeah, he's still qualified, even though he's Division two, he's still qualified for All American. Um, Got to hit up a guy like Ed Gallo or something to give you the exact qualifications. I don't remember how many matches or what what it is uh, to get to All American, and if it's the same for Division two. But it's essentially like uh, like how they give the Master of Sport in Russia. There's a certain preset qualification you need for matches, experience, so forth before you get that designation. And it's not given everybody. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm guessing All-American is more rare than the Master of Sports, given by all the Master of Sports we're starting to see come over, right? Possibly so. Um, but uh, but yeah, I will say, though, what I do know as far as Division Two, Division One, obviously on paper wins, names, all those things. There's a lot of chest bumping a Division One can and normally does do in, across multiple sports to Division Two counterparts. It's just like that... It's that upperclassman kind of kind of bullshit, but um, it's not necessarily always skill that depend that, that that puts you in these in these places, right? Uh, Kamar Usman Division Two, um, John Jones Junior College Champ, right? A lot of these maybe ap- academic, social, personal, whatever financial, whatever of the multitude amalgamations of all these issues uh, will. Um, will decide someone's path, especially for you non-Americans listening. It's a real fucking bullshit finance system on, on the price and, and uh, premium we put on our schools here and how we how we divvy it up. It's kind of fucked up when you break it up. Um, but it doesn't necessarily tell you how smart someone is academically nor how good they are athletically. Because, again, there's plenty of Division Two junior college standouts um, that are world champions in pound-for-pound Highly ranked, right? So, um, so it's not always on those things. And to boot, Puna also has a uh, was a judo state champ and a judo brown belt. And you'll see the judo stuff pop up, and you're like, "How is judo?" You know, uh, not a lot of judo people really that. You know, you, you poke holes in, in that. You know, um, and borderline disrespecting the judokas. But hey, you know that there is some truth to that not a lot of judo people with success. You know, this and that. But if you look at Puna Haley Soriano's style, he uses judo more than a lot of people. Um, he's got mean double legs, like American folk style wrestling, you would suspect. But if you look at him in the clinch, he's always playing with feet. He's playing with feet uh, more than a sambo person would, and in, in more of a judo, uh, a judoka styling. Uh, the way he, he off balances, and I love it. He mixes it with his striking, um, and. Even though a lot of times you critique him, again, uh, the grappling that you can critique him is not that he'll jump gillies, but that he'll go for takedowns or go, or he'll collapse into the cl- clinch. And you can hear his corner and Eric definitely working with him to not fall forward into his punches, and that absolutely is true, and he shouldn't do it. But I think part of it is his hardwiring with his judo to where he is hardwired for people to want to shoot on him. So even when he's facing guys who aren't even trying to shoot on him, he is naturally he's like, okay, if I'm going to throw my power 
um, and put myself out of position, I'm at least going to get my head positioned to get a cheeky headbutt, a cheeky nodder, as Jack Slack would say, and in conjunction, counterbalance to shoot my hips back, right? Um, because I'm already going forward from my hips with a strike. Let's shoot it back, a counterbalancing effort, in case they try to shoot under this power shot, right? And you see this kind of um, symbiotic economy of movement in, in a lot of Puna's striking. And when he his head does work as a stopper, and the clench does work as a stopper, you see him immediately block hips. Um, he'll throw knees and uppercuts, but usually the uh, the striking again comes off of debasing the leg, which I love. You know, I always cite that Jim Miller, Joe Lozon, round one, UFC 155 in their first fight. Jim Miller using um, a real low calf kick, inside leg kick, a scoop in a scooping motion more than a kicking motion, um, and it was just to off balance Joe and get his punches off. And Puna does a lot of those same things, but. If you saw Maximoff, who, you know, made some improvements between his 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 his, his, his fight, to his credit with the Cody Brennan fight, um, in the boxing, and apparently he went to SoCal uh, at Wildcard. Um, and whether it's at Wildcard or he's staying up in NorCal, it should be no surprise. Again, he's, he's he's this kid's clearly following the Nate Diaz playbook in his own way. He's coming from that camp, primarily boxers, which he is. But he puts his head forward a lot. Now, excuse me, get some water here. Ah, sorry. Now, he will um, <clears throat> accompany it with a high guard, which would be really good against Puna. But he puts his head forward a lot. Um, for those reasons, uppercuts are going to be the most lively strike on both sides, but... Obviously, I think it's going to be more lively for Puna hitting Maximoff with it. Um, so that's going to be something. But because of the way Puna throws his head into things, because it's southpaw orthodox, and because Maximoff is putting his head forward all the time, and he's going to be shooting, I wrote headbutt or clash of heads. I'm sorry, clash of heads. I got to be better at that. I'm not saying it sarcastically to be a dick. I'm directing that energy at myself, that shade in myself, by the way. Because it's true, like, I gotta use that term more, and that's what I could see. Tot this fight totally has class of hedge uh, fucking gonna get cancelled uh, because if someone's gonna get their head butt, a cut or something from a head, a clash of heads or some shit. Uh, I don't know if the fight will get cancelled, but mark my word, there's gonna be, not not even clash of there's gonna be multiple clash of heads and a potentially fight ending one in this fight. It's a weird call, I know. But that's what it is. The only play as of right now, again, is Soriano by decision plus 300. I put a quarter unit on it. May put him in a third leg of a parlay if Bet Online doesn't let me do the parlay I did uh, over at my bookie and what will be on my um, odds checker US sheet. Next fight, Shavkat Rachmanov uh, versus Carlston Harris. Uh, Rachmanov plus a uh, minus 240 favorite. Harris plus 195 underdog. Um, <clears throat> basically, this, as well as all the fights for the original three-leg, um, are fights have a similar theme where both fighters, in spirit, like to do similar things, but one fighter is either just outright better at it and or uh, better all-around and more or, or more experience. I don't know about the experience. It's a toss-up. Probably give it to Carlston Harris. He's really got an interesting resume. Like, he's beaten guys like Michelle Pereja and... Um, 
uh, fuck, who else? I forget someone else. But then he's also lost to like guys like at one forty who fight at one forty five uh, and got beat by Gray Mater like Bruno. Uh, is it Bruno Silva? Uh, Andre Bruno. Uh, he lost to uh, Fernando Bruno. Um. Yeah, he beat uh. He beat Wellington Terman. I'm guessing this was was well. Wellington was probably just a kid because he's already young. So it was a young welterweight Wellington Terman. Um, early in his career, even to Michelle Pereja, uh, Pereja, fucking 2015. Jesus, I couldn't find uh, Carlston Harris's lone TKO loss. Looks like he gets he gets caught cold in the first round by uh, Jarrah. Al Salawi, but I did go b- watch some of uh, Jada Al Salawi's fights, and uh, the dude looks like he, uh, similar to Shavkat uh, can strike out of both stances, but really punctuates well with the left hand. So I'm guessing that's what he caught him with. Who knows? Um, if someone track is able to track down the fight. Let me know. But it didn't really ch- not going to change my opinion. It's already locked in. Um, beats Christian Aguilera. Uh, and with a nice choke and Impa Kasangane, who uh, you know clearly got pushed too soon, unfortunately for him. I like him a lot, but uh, when I watch Carlston Harris, uh, you know I'm not as impressed as I remember being. He clearly has an effective game that he gets to for his frame. Uh, he's got a big frame for the division, and you know seems strong for a skinny guy. But Rachmanov also has a big frame, arguably bigger frame, arguably bigger overall for the division, and like I was hinting with Hamshat uh, uh, Shemaev, um, I I think that um, he he really looks stronger than what he is, and not because I've had a guy like Jack Hermanson uh, reveal that to us, but you just look at the way like the ways that this guy is able to hold his base and balance on the ways uh, on certain takedowns or certain positions. It's just like it shows he's got a really good base and balance and understanding of position, but also just he's. Just seems like a naturally heavy and strong guy, a hard guy to move around. And he likes to do the same things and operate in the same spaces as Carlston Harris. Um, except that his jujitsu also translates from the bottom, where this guy's actually dangerous from the bottom, can fight well from the bottom, can sweep. Uh, single leg get ups, like I like the uh, half guards, the single leg get ups, um, Maya style uh, that I like. Uh, Rachmanov has shown those. Um, he looks to be the better wrestler. Uh, again, the longer guy, so he's probably going to lock his hand, be able to lock his hands too, slash before Harris even, maybe, possibly. Um, <clears throat> and then Harris also has that, like, early Jose Aldo, w, early WEC Jose Aldo punches, or, like a lot of the Brazilian regional guys, where they almost look like they're, they're potent as hell, and the timing is good, and their eyes are good, and the way they throw it, you know, you can tell they have a sense for it, and they have a decent left hook to follow up, but that that that, that initial right cross that they often throw, especially like before the jab, Aldo, like, if it, you know, like, I don't even want to compare this guy because it's sloppier than even that old, old, old version of Aldo, but I just see a lot of these Brazilian guys do it, and they just throw that... It's like a downward parry, but it almost looks like a downward parry. It's such a, a baseball throw of a of a right cross, a right hand, I should say, not even cross. Can't call that a cross because it doesn't cross anywhere. It just it's it loops, and against a guy who throws longer, straighter punches, and I believe he's even a better hooker as far as his left hook goes. 
And then you got the, you know, the, uh, the kick, like, Rachmanov can, like, throw spin kicks with accuracy. Like, I wrote Shavkat's what we thought Rory was, and not literally, but in the sense that it's been a trope for a while, but it started back with Rory where it really took up trend. Like, there's these people who've just came up doing MMA and they can do everything, and that's Rory McDonald. I'm more talking about that, whether you agree with that or not. That was a thing, and Rory was a big marker of that wave, of trend. Um, so I use him for an example here in the sense of, like, how many people from Rory since Rory have we been having to hear that for a decade now? And there's some truth to it. I'm not denying it. I'm not trying to be a truther or an anti-person here. But what I will say is, is Rachmanov blows the doors off of all those examples. He is what everybody was was trying to make the hyperbole about, right? You know, he was that, uh, he is that, uh, Rachmanov. This guy can literally do everything. And he looks like he's got a hell of a chin on him, too. Uh, I've seen him take some hard shots on the regional scenes from guys who could punch to, you know, clean right hands from, you know, Alex Oliveira. And um, the dude doesn't blink. He looks like he takes punches really well. And I don't think he's going to get submitted by Harris. And since all his wins are inside the distance, even though this guy does not seem like he has a gas tank problem, I guess the only unbiased way to, to, to make a path for Harris. And again, even though I, I, I feel like he should and will be favored more in the future, Rachmanov, which is why I'm taking him in what seems like a prospect versus prospect fight on a lot of people's radar or on paper. Uh, it's because, again, just the skill level and technicality in every department is just better for Rachmanov. Uh, from the stylistic to the on-paper stats, like, you know, minuscule shit, like height and shit, right? Um, that I, I never really count on. And, yeah, like, looking at head value, like, I think we're going to see stupid numbers on this guy. And I know Harris has only been finished once and we can't get tape on it. But uh, I also think this could be a case of him kind of fighting the right guys at the right time, you know, uh, with his resume. And he fights well tired, and he can fight through the tiredness, but he definitely gets tired as the fight goes on, Harris does. Whereas Rachmanov, despite not going to the decision and not having that type of experience, he doesn't look like he's going to get tired. And he's been training stateside already. He's, he, he's, he's been at uh, Sanford MMA for some time. You know, a lot of good training partners. Uh, a lot of guys on this uh, camp, and there's going to be nothing this guy hasn't seen. Hard sparring uh, to boot. Uh, strong Kazakh is uh, Shavkat Rachmanov. Um, I'm not as in touch with the scene as I used to be, so that's why you don't hear me calling guys from, I've been following guys before the UFC anymore, but um, since you know 90% of the time I do my due diligence, even on debutants, if I think they're gonna, uh, if I think they're gonna be good at least, um, uh, I'll have those early UFC takes, and those will be usually hold up pretty well, slash more accurately than the herd will be. Uh, a little, you know, will come around to it more often than later. So I still, I'm still proud of my calls in that sense, but I'm not gonna sit here and claim that I've been fucking watching this guy on the M1 scene because I, I got no time for that shit. But, yeah, I was impressed since I first started watching this guy for what that's worth. High on him. Uh, so he earns a spot as the uh, as a leg on the parlay. All right. Uh, next fight is... Uh, oh, yeah, I took him inside the distance as well. 
because it's getting plus 100 depending on where you look. I threw a half unit on that. You know me, I like to bulk up my parlay legs with potential bonuses slash potential hedges. Let's hope that's one of them. I put a half unit on that. Um, next fight, Brandon Allen's uh, minus 435, Sam Alvey plus 330. I don't like this at all. This feels like a trap fight all over it. Um, so did the last one against Phil Hawes. But Brandon Allen, like, it's it's weird, man. Like, he's knocked out by Strickland and then knocked out um, by Curtis. But Curtis, again, has proven himself as, as a really good boxer and a power puncher. It's just more that he's, I'm still not used to him being at middleweight, even though he's fought there before. Um, but whether this, whether he's just doing it till he loses or it's a permanent move, it's working for him. So, you know, obviously nothing to mark down uh, Brendan Allen too much there for. But again, he's lost plenty of times as big favorites, and he's had some of these things where it's just like, wait, you got choked out by Jay Giles? I know, you know, Brendan Allen wasn't a black belt back then when he fought him. Um, you know, but neither was Jay Giles and, and uh, Trevin Giles. And, like, uh, you know, so is, is Brendan Allen kind of an inconsistent guy? He seems very emotional. Like, he talked about, you know, if I lose this fight, I'm going to hang it up. I forget it was like, the last fight that he won, thankfully, right? Um... And uh, it's, like, up and down. He seems like a nice-as-hell guy. I love the story, him trying to do, you know, uh, being there for his brother and, and, you know, people being there for their family definitely, you know, hit, hits home for me. Um, so I root for the guy. I'm picking him here. But, man, it was a, you know, he gets into these things hooking with guys, you know, uh, hooking on extended exchanges or, or, or coming in aggressively. That's what got him caught against Strickland. You know, whereas Puna, he was really fighting technical and smart. Um, he found something that kept working and just kept going to it with a body kick, even though he didn't believe in it. Uh, his corner kept telling him to do it, and he listened, thankfully, for him. It, it's just, it's hard to depend on it. And when I look at it, I just feel like, you know, there, there was a couple in that fight, but Puna didn't throw a lot of them, and, and, and despite being a southpaw, it, it it doesn't seem to be one of his stronger offerings, which is the check right hook. Southpaw should never leave home without. But that's like the only punch you can count on Alvy throwing. And I feel like it's there all day. Obviously, we saw Chris Chris Curtis hit him with that exact same shot, and I just I can't get out of my head. Alvy is a really underrated grappler. We saw that even against Terman and um, even though he lost those rounds in a really bad fight. But, I mean, as far as getting... He's not getting taken down, controlled, or dominated. Like, that just doesn't happen to Sam Alvey. So, even if Brendan Allen gets back to that game, which I feel like serves him well, um, and it's probably likely after... Or should be likely after suffering a knockout loss, I don't know if he does it. Um, now, I still suspect that he could outpoint and just kick and maybe even hurt Sam Alvey and get him out of there. Uh, if not win a decision. So that's why I'm picking Brendan Allen here. But for that price, he's taking this fight on short notice. He just took it this week. You know, he was out at Evil, Eagle FC. He was out with the boys on another post, like, just a week ago. And we're making him a minus 435 against a guy fighting to feed, like, how many fucking kids? Um, where his job's clearly on the line? I mean, I joke about that. He's probably going to get another five fights, Alvy. But you know what I'm saying? Um... Uh, speaking of Sam Alvey, shouts to him and my guy, uh, Jordan Killian, old school, pound for pound podcast. 
That's another reason why I'm not surprised at the Strickland shit. It's because if you, you, you old school listeners that know about that podcast, um, listen to a Strickland interview back then, and and, and Jordan was the shouts to my guy Jordan, who's been co-host of the show many times. He, he he's he let me in on Zavali. He's like, oh dude, this guy's fucking holy shit. He's a gun. I was like, what what? And like, so I already got this shock value like back in like 2015, 2016. I already knew all this about uh, Sean. So through Alvin and Jordan, but yeah, I'm going to pick Allen here. No play. Uh, there's another dangerous one to play. Tresson Gore minus 155, Brian Battle plus 135. This should be close to a pick 'em. It opened kind of close to that, but money's coming in on Gore, which it's weird. I, I, I get him being favored at face value, uh, and I'm not a big guy on layoffs or overvaluing the layoff, but the guy has been inactive. Um, he has a history of it, which is kind of sketchy. Like, it's just his whole resume is... He, not only does he have more fight... Can, he may have double fight cancellations than he does have fights. Um, that's not a joke. But he seems talented. Trains out of Atlanta. Uh, since he comes from a wrestling base, uh, recently got his brown belt. Trains out of the Lehman Brothers... Lehman Brothers uh, sector of uh, the American Top Team Affiliates over there in Georgia. And he really fights like them in a lot of senses. One shot, two shots. He'll throw a check hook and circle out. Pretty basic bread and butter jab crosses, but really just to set up the hard, hard leg kicks, um, which he loves spamming. Uh, and he throws really, really strong ones to his credit. Um, but he really likes to fight. A, you know, really likes to fight technical, which I appreciate. But he really kind of fights at that slower pace like a Douglas Lima, where I think he may have to either learn to let go and, and have more of a process and pace or may end up being dependent on opportunistic submissions and knockouts, um, more so than the, any of the uh, than Douglas. Um, Brian Battle is a bit sloppy. Looks like he's got to kind of get hit. Doesn't come from a traditional base, but really just picks up everything. Kind of good everywhere. Um, decent shots. Uh, pretty good jujitsu, uh, which makes sense. He comes from um, comes from my lineage, highest stand lineage, at least from uh, my Neil Melanson side of the grappling. He didn't train under Neil, but trained under uh, guys who trained with Neil and, and where Neil came from, uh, Gokur's gym. Um, so that shouldn't be a surprise. And striking, what I like about him is he really flows and has a lot of combinations, really just has a good sense for striking. Like, fighting, I get, aside from the last name being battle, fighting does seem like it should be what he's doing. Um, he switches stances, can fight from both stance, which is going to be really good against a guy who's going to be looking to bomb leg kicks. And uh, he just looks like he really kind of builds as the fight goes on. And against, you know, athletic, more knockout guy who... You know, it sounds like he's got a chip on his shoulder, and I really like Trayson Gore from what I hear and the struggles he's had to go through. Really tugs at my heartstrings, and I want good things for this cat. But from a stylistic perspective, you know me, I tend to favor durable, you know, and, and battle's been stopped before. Granted, I believe it was back when he was an amateur. Um, but, uh, you know, durable guys who put on volume and pull away down the stretch versus guy who probably needs either a first round or just opportunistic looks in general is going to rely on the opportunistic look for the whole fight. Well, I usually take, I usually don't take the latter. So I'm, I'm not going to here. 
I'm going to take Brian Battle as my pick to survive some scares and pull away down the stretch. But I still expect the fight to be very competitive. Um, and um, But the thing is, I, I got to see Tresson Gormar on his back. I didn't like what I saw um, in the fight that he won by injury. Uh, he looked really good up until uh, for the majority of the round, but then ends up on his back, eats really hard elbows, doesn't show much of any answers there. I know that fight was a while ago. Uh, to a big gentleman, but still, um, I feel like Brian Battle is is, is going to be the well, he is going to be the bigger man, and I feel like he could really, you know, if he gets decent position on Gore, it's not game over. He doesn't have a game over game, but as far as gas tank and getting ahead in the race, oh, that's going to be big, big dividends. Um, maybe if I'm up, maybe I'll sprinkle on Brian Battle, but probably not. But the pick is Brian Battle, the dog. Next fight, Julian Arosa minus two ninety, uh, Stephen Peters. Detective Sterling Peterson of the Chicago Police Department. Uh, Abe Froman, Sausage King of Chicago. Uh, Ju- uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> that's kind of funny. I always do the I always do the Cameron impression uh, for Sterling Peterson for Stephen Peterson, and Stephen Peterson is fighting the guy I always compare to Cameron from Ferris Bueller, Julian Arosa. Cool was that? I just realized. It. Dan, you're a fucking nerd. No one cares but you. Okay. Um, I'm picking Arosa here. I was going to make him a parlay leg here uh, because, you know, at first I'm just like, what, Arosa, big favorite? He shouldn't be a big favorite. But I'm like, oh, yeah, Steven Peterson, no no offense, but not the best fight IQ. Like, he almost gave a fight away to fucking Chase Hooper, you know, like grappling with him more than he should, getting into leg lock battles and not using him to get on top, um, you know, un- until later on in the fight, gets on top through other methods. But even then, you know, like, it just, yeah, not great fight IQ, not great defense. Um, he's always in great shape, you know. Uh, so him being, you know, the fitness coach at now at 4 to 7 May is no surprise. Got a lot of experience. You know, seems like a nice enough guy. But uh, I like Julian Arosa, man. I like Juicy J. Um, Juicy J is... It's funny, man. He's 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 usually done really bad against southpaws. I think he's zero and three officially, but um, those were earlier on in his career. Obviously, Tough House, Artem Lobov. You got Teruto Ishihara a year later, and then the town's a striker like Julio Arce in like twenty eighteen or or so, I think. But even since then, you know, you got to look at it too. Like especially twenty eighteen when he was he was a miss uh, a big losing streak in twenty eighteen when he got that head kick, and if you look at the time. It was like 2018, 2017 is the losing streak or whatever, I think. But if you look at the time, um, I believe at the end of 2017, uh, my old coach, late great Robert Fallis, was the reason why Julian Arosa, Julian Arosa's old coach, that's the reason why I moved down to Vegas and is still here, uh, he's part of that Robert Fallis gang. And if you look, a lot of the fighters, Kevin Lee, Tim Elliott, who moved for Robert Fallis as well. You know, just like, just like back in the day in Canada when... Um, Another, I can't really call him my coach, although I was lucky enough to take classes on room through his affiliation with Extreme Couture, Sean Tompkins. And when he died, all his fighters, not so coincidentally, went on losing streaks, right? Like, these things happen. That's one of those tinfoil hat, coincident, quinky dinks, weird stats that you can maybe, you know, maybe not hang a hat on, but hang a beanie on or something. You know what I mean, what I'm trying to say there. Um,. So you got to cut him some slack there, and immersing himself in Las Vegas, you saw you see it pay dividends. 
um, and his skills. He still has he's still wild. He still will put his hands a bit low on certain things, especially when he's feeling his flow. But he's actually more defensive versus responsible, both with head movement that's gotten better, and even with his standing guard. He at least tries to have some semblance of a standing guard now, which is which is good. Um and uh and you know, you know, the wrestling, the front chokes, um I think he's going to have the advantage there. He's, he's clearly going to have a size for guys. Steve Peterson needs to kill himself to get down a bantam weight because even though he's not that even that small of a featherweight, but um, you know I think size is important to him. He's not going to have that um, or the strength. And Stephen Peterson doesn't have that one shot KO power either. Uh, he's a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu brown belt, so maybe he survives on the floor. But I mean, so was uh, you know uh, Charles Jordan, and he got choked right so could be a roast inside the distance this one it looks like it's going to set to go over from the lines i believe it'll go over um i, I would like to think julia rosa is going to find a finish with, with his style it's just it's hard to count on maybe maybe i'll play it if uh if i'm doing well at that point is it plus money rosa inside the distance let's see yeah, it is plus money, but uh, I'm not confident because it, it could be a decision. It's Peterson is really durable and tough to put away, um, which was another reason why I was just going to parlay him. If you can't figure out how you want to play him, then parlay him, confident in him, right? But I left him out. We'll see if that's a good decision or I regret it. Uh, we will see. Um, next fight, sorry, uh, fucking bestfightodds.com is all funky. It's been really funky lately. It's only getting funkier. Um, Miles Johns minus 190, John Castaneda, Castaneda plus 160. Uh, was originally leaning toward Johns. Um, I know Castaneda is a popular underdog. The not the line looks to have uh, definitely uh, shifted compared to some other, some of the other dogs, I should say. Um, but I ended up on him too. Uh, I I didn't think I was going to because I feel like you know. Um, Miles Johns, I always want to fade him, but I think I, um, ah, I might have faded him against Mario Batista, or, uh, uh, but a pick, not a play, and then I was like, well, maybe I can play him now again, but I'm like, mm, I don't know about Kevin Natividad, well, how about some round three, I think I took him round three, right, and, uh, Johns ends up finishing round three to, to kind of shove it to his stamina critics, he does it in round three again. With Anderson Dos Santos, which at that point, I was starting to respect Johns more from the round three. I took the lesson there. So I believe I picked Johns, but I respected Dos Santos, and I respected people for taking a shot on a dog who will fight for your money like Anderson Dos Santos. Except Anderson Dos Santos, not as durable as John Castaneda. And John Castaneda, a durable southpaw who can wrestle. Well, durable southpaws who can wrestle are my favorite archetype, but... Castaneda also the better grappler, even though he hasn't been going there as much as I would like to see. He is a a, a well-trained Brazilian jiu-jitsu brown belt. Um, and he wrestled at a Division II level as well, uh, John Castaneda. I, he doesn't go to it as much as I liked in recent memory, which is part of the reason why. Also, I was like, oh, yeah, John's is a favorite. Maybe I'll end up picking him. And But after I watched the tape, even though I would like Castaneda to both grapple and pressure more in general. I just think that's what he needs. Um, both these guys, and Castaneda obviously himself, they find finishes out of nowhere. And that's kind of the hard thing to predict here, right? Like, I'm 
picking and playing Castaneda, but if he gets finished, like you shouldn't be surprised because I shouldn't be surprised because Miles Johns feels like I always get him and Jordan Espinosa confused, and they're both in their own ways, like the UL Romeros of their of their own divisions. Um, Espinosa, the more just like outside of a jab, maybe just the ineffective UL Romero stuff for the most part. Whereas Miles Johns is like specifically UL Romero from Romero Whitaker too, where you know orthodox stance, sitting in, sitting into his punches, sitting into his jab, really overthrowing that right hand on a on a hair trigger almost, high shell, um, wrestling not to submit, but we use it to break up action and reset. Like, very, and he almost, he's his body too. He looks like a shrunken Yoel Romero. Um, where was I going with that? But, uh, but, but when it, here, here's what, what I, I might have disjointed my, my previous thought and jumped off from it, but, but essentially, Cut to it. The reason why I ended up picking and playing Castaneda is because that Dos Santos fight. He's got Anderson Dos Santos essentially dead to rights, hurt on one leg in round one. And I feel like, and I wrote about this in my odds checker article, which you can you can check out. Um, but I feel like John lets the fights get away from him in spurts. And obviously, there was some cardio at play with a lot of those early earlier things. Even though he was able to pull a five round victory over Yanez. Which the only clip I can find from that is John's escaping a ninja choke in his really crazy way. Credit to him in the fifth round when he looks tired. But from the commentary, it seems like he was pushing against the cage and wrestling the whole time. And it was a split and whether to award that or the damaging moments of Yanez, I'm guessing. Um, but I'm guessing, too, that might just be in a weird fight, too, where Yanez... We still don't know, A, know the ceiling of Yanez, so he could be perhaps somewhat overhyped, even though I, I do think he's very talented. Um, and that was early on in his career, and that could be one of those anomaly fights. That's why I'm, I'm, I'm careful. Like, oh, this guy's got a win over Michelle Pajeda, or this guy's got a win over that because there are just some things on uncert- There are we'll talk about Jason Witt with one of his fights with Brian Barberena, and there's plenty of these for a lot of people's. Uh, there are some matchups that are just so such anomalies that we can look back in retrospect and go, how much money. Did this one result cost me? Not because I bet on this fight or even could bet on this fight, but because this is a fight that happened, whether it was in the UFC or not, whether you saw it or not even sometimes, because you know that commodity, you're like, well, that, that they beat that person, so that must be, and you end up overvaluing them. And that, that processes into your future decision-making where you do make bets. And when you go back and audit these things from that perspective, that's what I mean. But there are just certain anomaly fights that just really fucking throw you off and cost you money, you know? And you got to be able to sniff those out and not let those dictate the day every day at least. Maybe sometimes it'll save you depending on what the matchup and what the perspective is, right? But in this case, I feel like Johns gets a lot of mileage from that. Whereas Castaneda's got an underrated resume, you know? Uh, you know, even like ones like the Gustavo Lopez one in, in round four, I know... My my boy Gus, you know, hadn't hasn't produced the results in the UFC, but he's a tough guy as well as a, a lot of other guys that Castaneda uh, C- C- has uh, has fought. Um, I know Chris Beal was on a losing streak, but you know he really lit Chris Beal up in that in that second round, and I could see something similar here uh, in round two. Um, I think that's what it'll take for him to find his groove because Castaneda has to find his groove. And Johns, I feel like even with the pacing improvements, he's still kind of almost living on a prayer with a lot of his uh, 
with a lot of his with a lot of his pacing. Uh, like he's barely holding it together, and or maybe it's a focus thing. He kind of lets the game get away from him because back to that Anderson Dos Santos fight, round two he kind of lets him back into the fight. Now I don't think he consciously lets him in. Obviously, Miles John wants to win the fight, but what happens is Anderson Dos Santos' leg is so fucked up by the second round he's fighting southpaw, and Anderson Dos Santos I can't remember him fighting southpaw once. And by the way, he's impromptu fighting southpaw. You can tell he normally doesn't fight southpaw. He sucks at it. He has almost no offense, uh, that, that look, none that looks comfortable at the very least. And what you got to imagine, you know, like the commentary always says, is very true. You know, test someone's defense when they switch stance. You know, uh, speaking of Roy McDonald, McDonald Safatine. Every time Safatine switched stances, McDonald jabs. You know, he jabs him on the beat because he, he, the, the defense hasn't adjusted yet. Um, and Johns doesn't do any of that. He looks completely lost because what's Johns? main pace setting weapons that he's really grown into sitting into the jab and calf kick and those are really big weapons for Fortis MMA in general so that makes sense what goes away against the southpaw well calf kick does for sure it's really tough to do you know you got to do those like Jared Cannonier open stance to Robert Whitaker things and and very few people can really do that effectively right this is why I cited that fight and even then Jared still lost clearly right so um <clears throat> yeah, but but jabs are still there, like my man Connor Rebush will tell you, and, and, and until he's blue in the face, and I don't blame him. Um, it's pe- something people know in boxing more, more, but MMA, you'll see fighters lose confidence in their jab all of a sudden, and a southpaw's jab, especially a checking jab, which was my favorite thing to annoy sparring partners, can really control the dance and annoy the piss and throw off a fighter and disrupt their rhythm like a motherfucker. Um, Castaneda doesn't do that as much as I'd like to, but he does have the weapon that he's always kind of poised to throw, which is a check right hook. And I think that's what's going to get Johns. When Johns, Johns will overthrow his right hand still, he'll throw himself off balance, even though he keeps a, a good defensive shell. Um, when he jabs and low kicks, the hand will come down on the crosses because, again, he's throwing a lot of power. He's getting himself off balance. And I think that's going to throw him right into a Castaneda check right hook. I believe that if either fighter ends up grappling, it's going to benefit Castaneda because he is the better grappler overall, even if Johns may have uh, a slight edge in explosive first-layer wrestling. Um, even if he wins those first-layer exchanges, he's may lose in the bigger picture uh, if we're going from a cardio perspective, something you don't really have to worry too much with Castaneda. I know he actually kind of was shaky against Nathaniel Wood, but Nathaniel Wood is really good. That was a high-paced fight. And, lest we not forget, Castaneda took that on short notice. Um, So there's a lot of these little caveats on a lot of the fights that he did lose. Um, So, yeah, that's that's basically it. I just feel like that Castaneda could outwork him. Um, If anybody's going to submit him, get a submission, it's Castaneda. And even though they both could get a knockout, I feel like Castaneda is more likely to get the knockout, even though both men have only suffered one defeat in that method. Um, And I also think the small cage is going to force them to work, which is bad for Johns and good for Castaneda from their stylistic perspectives, right? Johns likes to control circle. He's going to have less room to do that. Castaneda arguably needs to work more and um, and, uh, doesn't... doesn't, doesn't, um, Sometimes doesn't um, work as much as I like, and I think the small cage will make that happen. So, uh, 
and they both come from great camps. I hate going against uh, Safe Sayud. I have a ton of respect for Coach Safe, but John Castaneda for point seven five units at plus one fifty five is what I got him for. Um, the under at plus money seemed tempting because it could be live for both ways, but I'm more exposed on this fight than I'd like to be, even at three quarter units. So I stayed away from it. But you know, there's another angle there. That's a possibility. Uh, Hakeem Dewodu. Minus 165, Michael Trezano, plus 145. I continue my trend of barely ever watching Michael Trezano fights. There's just nothing ever attracted to me or the matchups that he's in, for the most part. <laughs> uh, his style just, I don't know what it, it is. And I like I like the camp that he comes from and, and generally their fighters they produce. But he just doesn't do it for me. I wanted to look into him as a live dog, but um, Akeem Dewadu has surprised me too many times in aspects. And to his defense in his last fight, it was I didn't pick him to win, uh, obviously. But he had a good third round against a really good guy in Mazvar Ivloev. And it was even better in retrospect when I found out that, thanks to listening to the TSN MMA, TSN MMA show, did a lot of interview with the Canadians on this card, decent amount, um, as Hakeem told Aaron. The dude was on bed rest for like 45 days before the fight. Like he should have pulled out. Like the fact that he even made it that made it to the distance was amazing. Much less that he was the one with the strong round three. You know, it shows um, this guy's mindset. He's really good in the clinch. Uh, even though Michael Giordano is really good at staying long with a jab, he still ultimately wanted uh, going to be you know allowing Dewoto to play his game. Um, so my pick here is going to be for Dewoto, but he is just the guy that I always want to fade. So I'm definitely not putting my money on him. Definitely not putting my money on him in this spot. And if Trezano wins, I definitely wouldn't be mad, and I'll be happy for y'all who played him. Uh, but officially, the pick is Dewodu. This was one fight I didn't want to target. Maybe I'll regret it because I wanted to look at the Trezano side of things, but I'll just pick Dewodu. Um, I admittedly, this is one of the few fights I didn't look too far into. Not the case for the next. Mark andre Barrio, minus 125. Chidi Chidi Bang Bang Ninja Kawani, plus 105. Um, kind of surprised. Was was thinking Chidi with his experience from the hard course to the hype of the contender series and the newbies, and the more sexy styles, a sexy striker. We know that the MMA gamblers love those. Um, Chidi would be the favorite. Not that the 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 fight is you know far from a pick'em, nor should it be far from a pick'em. But I just figured you know Ninja Corner would be the favorite of that equation. With that being said, yeah, may have, perhaps you could justify a stab if you're going to stab on either side. Um, but my pick is going to be Mark andre Barrio. Um, I fucking, I get so dyslexic on these overs and unders, and I thought they had the over at plus money. I'm like, fuck yeah, that was going to be a major play. And then I realized I got it backwards, I'm stupid. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's not it. Uh, but I think it's going over. I think it's Barrio by decision. And I think Barrio is, oddly enough, just as likely to get a finish, especially from boxing range, as Ninja Kawani is, uh, Andre Barrio is just super ridiculously durable, which is a big reason why I'm picking him and a, a reason why I imagine he's the favorite here. Whereas Ninja Kawani, um, his output can be a bit su suspect. Even though he's improved his uh, grappling, I think that's helped a lot. Um, I still don't think that his gas, you know, I don't know if he has a suspect gas tank. I don't know if I'd go f so far as to say that. But he does have pacing issues, and I think that against a guy like Barrio, both pacing issues and even gas tank could be brought to light um, with the with the pace that Mark Andre Barrio likes to fight in. 
Um, I do like that Mark Andre Burial does like to cross block for some knees in the clinch because his knees in the body are like Ch- Chitty Qu- Ninja Kwani's biggest weapons. But he'll also like take knees to the body as well as leg kicks on a lot of fights too without checking them or blocking them, and that worries me. Um, kicking, leg kicks, body kicks, and body work in general, uh, as well as checking shots. Ninja Kwani all day. But Burial showed a lot of improvements even in just one camp change. Uh, which I usually say is not enough to Sanford in MMA, but he was there for a decent amount of time. In fact, he's almost exactly three weeks shy from one year of relocating down there to South Florida. Plenty of good training partners, training fighters that have fought Ninja Kwani before, even some of the regional guys. Like I saw Alatang um, in the corner of the regional guy he fought in the LFA or whatever, like pre-contender uh, series, I think. Um, and... Uh, so the, the camp has a experience against uh, against Chidi as well, and what I liked and one of the main things the Burial was doing is he was rolling off of his crosses and taking uh, educated angles, uh, and that's going to be huge whether he's in the clinch or punching and crossing off of boxing range, uh, because again the knees that come up the middle both in the clinch and in general, uh, as well as the checking shots. Chidi Njikwani is so good at just kind of. Checking and checking and just as he angles off and rolls off. It's so beautiful. Real high-level striking stuff. So even though he plays on the outside, which is another reason why I'm picking uh, Marc-Andre Barrio, he pushes guys you know, to, the, to, to his opponent's corners, frustration. He pushes everyone to the fence. And Ninja Kwani already has a bad habit of giving away cage positioning despite handling himself better in said spots. Um... And even though the perfect checking shot, which, you know, seemed to be what clipped uh, Andre Fialho when he stopped him, uh, can do it, um, you know, A, I don't know how much pure knockout power in the fists outside of those checking shots Ninja Kwani has, and B, I don't know how much, or if, you know, obviously Barrio can be knocked out, any man can, but, like, he's just stupidly iron-chinned. Um you know, eating stuff from Abu Azatar, although he did, you know, that's the one time I have seen him hurt in the UFC was a ridiculously, you know, muscle-jacked puncher like that. But he took uh, how many other shots from him so well and, you know, was back on the clock, even the one that looked like may have stung him. Shots from uh, the Nigerian dude, Adolcha Lungyambula. Um, he's just taking shots from so many... Uh, so many, you know, so many people and, and like nothing. Uh, and I like the habits, uh, I like the training. So I'm going to, I'm going to take him here. Um, if money keeps coming in on Chidi and we get Mark Andre Burial, even money, uh, obviously at plus money, I'll take the shot, but even, even money, um, I'll probably take a small shot on Barrio, but maybe not even then. Maybe I just enjoy this one, but the pick is Barrio. It's going over if that helps you. Probably is. Um, Alexis Davis minus 250. Julija Storielenko plus 200. Uh, this is uh, another parlay leg here. Uh, parlay leg number two. This is the one they were not allowing me. It might get replaced by Puna in my bet online house because they're not allowing me to take action on this fight for whatever reason. Or, well, no, I don't know. On a parlay, I did take a prop, which I'll give you here in a second. Um,. Basically, Storyalenko, outside of like low-level competition, even an Invicta uh, decision or something like that, like five-round split at that, all her wins outside of that split, uh, 
is uh, first round arm bars and first round arm bars even in WMA as common as they can be. Not against a vet who's a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt who's been through it like Alexis Davis. The only time she's been submitted was from an ultra-superior wrestler, which Storyalenko is not. That is uh, Sarah McMahon. And that was, I remember reviewing that fight from a pregnancy article because that was one of her comeback fights. She was a negative as far as a loser in that uh, coming back off pregnancy um, and a layoff and a year layoff there. So, you know, not totally excusing it, but, you know, there's circumstances there for that. Uh, I don't think Storyalenko can even pull that off even with those circumstances, which is why Davis is a parlay piece. I think she survives the early scares and, you know, you got to worry about story Elenko, you know, elbowing and stuff because Davis is so battle worn that like she'll bust open and cut easily. And you worry about the judges, you know, letting blood from round one affect how they score round two and three with some of these, you know, some of these, some of these judges, you got to be careful. Uh, and I'm trying to give the judges a little more credit now uh, in general. I'm trying to be better about that, but you know what I mean? That could be dangerous, the visuals, but her output and her MMA experience and just overall skills should be far too much. Um, I know she's only won one out of her last four, but she makes the uh, parlay lake here. And was able to find her at plus 105 uh, by decision, so I took a half unit on that. Again, trying to bulk up these parlay legs, right? So I got the decision props there. Um, as well as, uh, you know, for you know potential Puna, for her, for sure, and for her... Uh, uh, inside the distance for Shavcat. Last and final parlay piece, the third leg in both houses. <laughs> Speaking of third leg, Jailton, the Jailman, Almeida. Shouts to, I believe that's another classic uh, Brad from the MMA analysis nickname. The Jailman, which, you know, sounds kind of rapey, but we'll go with it. Uh, minus 435, Danilo Marquez, plus 330. Two Brazilian, two Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belts. Um... Jelton does a lot of the stuff I like. Like he could do the single leg half guard get up thing, like I said Maya does, and so can Marquez because he trains with Maya. Um, probably trained with him for a minute because he's 36. He's fucking my age, Danilo Marquez. Whereas Almeida is 30. Will be the bigger, younger man. Not that I like to go with the younger thing because people put way too much in age. It's you know, red flag. If that's someone's main reason for a bet, that should be a red flag, folks. Um, which we saw with that Moldovsky Bader. Uh, a lot of the reasonings I saw online, but um. But yeah, that, not my reasoning here. It's wrestling. It's more wrestling. And uh, athleticism is why I think Almeida is the favorite. Um, I don't like him being this wide, but I also needed a third leg. And, you know, Jelton Almeida standing there, you know, you're trying to pick out a third leg from a lineup. I mean, you know, can't blame me for landing on this guy, right? Uh, I mean, this guy's got some pre-USADA muscles on him. He's just packing all the heat, dances like he's Cowboy Oliveira. Who knows how many... How many people would get pregnant? As uh, my terrible, uh, what's his name? Uh, impression. Jesus Christ, I think he's going. Tracy Morgan. Um, but yeah, uh, I like Jelton. He's going to be the better wrestler. Um, essentially, it's again that's the theme of this parlay, right? It, it, it's aside from the potential leg of the Puna Maximoff in one house, the other legs. All these fighters like to do the same thing, just one is much better at it, I, I think. You know, it's a big number for an I think, but Danilo Marquez, he actually has some boxing credentials, and you can see it um, in that Kennedy and Sheku fight. And I took some shots on Marquez, it's paid off here, it hasn't paid off there. Um, so I like the guy, but it's clear that he just has like seven good minutes in him, and he's, he's done. Which is another reason why I'm picking Almeida, who despite not having... 
decision sample sizes, which can be a red flag. Like if you look at his output and the way he holds himself, um, you know, I'm not saying it, it, it isn't or won't be an issue in the future, but I don't think it's like going to be like a, a Rogan, like, oh, he's getting tired a minute into it um, or anything like that. Um, I, I think this guy comports himself much better than Marquez on the feet uh, in general from a stamina perspective as better wrestling, more athletic. And uh, I just like kind of where his, his ground game meta is going to be at. I mean, and even if you look at like one of uh, Danilo Marquez's wins in the UFC, he had to beat a guy like Kadis Ibragamov, who is like garbage, right? And even in that fight, uh, I believe, uh, you look at like round three, not only is he like tired or whatever, but like, he's got like a back mount or like a mount. And I know, you know, I always talk about how the bridge is underrated and how a lot of Russian fighters have good bridges, and that's one of the, the few things that, you know, I guess uh, Ibragamov has and, and was able to do, and he bridged at the right time, but, like, he just there's this exchange where he's just dominating. There's no reason that he should lose position, and he loses position, like, almost in, like, white belt fashion. I know it's the third round of the fight, and he's tired, but, like, he just, like... You're doing that against a Bragamov, the guy who has to like fucking, you know, Jurassic Park 1994 PlayStation redneck grunt when you kill the character, uh, grunt his way through takedowns. You know, wow, damn. Continue with your random references, you old bastard. Um, like, yeah, I don't, I don't think he's, I don't think that guy's getting that. So I took the Jailman as the third leg. I don't really like the uh, the flyer here. I feel I may I may take a shot on him by submission uh, at one house, um, um, at a decent number because that's higher than the TKO. I'm guessing because they don't figure the black belts will you know he might just punch him out, which I get. But uh, I did take uh, Almeida round two. I sprinkled on that at points point uh, seventeen unit uh, at plus four fifty. Um, yeah. I parlayed some prop, uh, a small grouping of props together, which I'll give you at the end there too. But yeah, took the jail man. Um, next fight, Philip Rowe minus one twenty five, Jason Witt plus one hundred five. This is another fight that feels like I don't want my money on. I put my money on Rowe before, and he's gonna be my pick here. Um, but Witt feels way too live for the upset, which is why I guess money's coming in on him. But because of which chin. I could never put money on him. Uh, good luck if you are. I'm not trying to shit on you. He is a live dog. Um, but Phil Rowe is another guy who can rally as well. And he's really good on the ground, even though I think Witt's going to be the better wrestler and he's going to be the bigger, stronger guy in that sense. Um, but Rowe, you know, he's improving on his boxing. He's got some things that he can put together. Uh, but as far as game plans... You know, I feel like you know Witt probably will be the the smarter fighter in there because he's going to have Jim Krause backing him, whereas Philip Rowe has made some suspect moves before. So again, I can't trust either man for different reasons, but the pick is going to be Phil Rowe. I didn't go back to look at this one, mind you, uh, and the uh, the reference I made earlier was just you know as far as those fights that like are anomalies, like Jason Witt and Brian Barberina, but even that fight, I think Witt almost lost at the end because he almost got knocked out. I could be sleeping on a par leg here for the last fight, but Denise Bondar, minus 290. Malcolm uh, Gordon, plus 230. Um, Bondar, let me see. I don't think he has a uh, wrestling, wrestling, wrestling. 
Hey, shout out to my man at Liam Picks Fights. Uh, love that dude. Um, sorry. Uh, sorry, I'm in my emails here. Um, I just want to see what Dennis Bondi. I, I just looked at it as I should know. Yeah, just um, amateur. Yeah, that's right. A lot of amateur MMA championships that he lists. Um, bantamweight, flyweight. I don't see, like, wrestling and this and that. Um, guy's a good grappler. Oh, dogs are barking. Hold on. Uh, sorry. Uh, it's all good. Uh, yeah, but the guy's a good grappler. Don't mind that. I was just feeding the dogs. And the doggies are secure. Okay. Dogs have transitioned. Sorry about that, folks. Um, he seems like a good grappler, but you know Malcolm Gordon is a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt who can get surprise submissions. I think that's his path here. Uh, but a lot of first-round finishes on Dennis Bondar, uh, whereas Malcolm Gordon can be finished um, fantastically in the first round. Um, I'm gonna be rooting for Malcolm Gordon. You know, I want him to do well, but the pick is Bondar. Could be a parlay leg that I'm sleeping and could regret not doing the research on this one. Just didn't have time to get to it, to be honest. So I apologies. I don't have a strong opinion there. So how do we do on time? 132. Pretty long. Sorry, folks. I had a lot to say. Again, I told you I did, did a decent tape study, and that's a bad thing. It's hard to expedite these when I, I actually do decent tape study. All right, picking Strickland over Hermanson, taking Soriano over Maximov, taking Rachmanov <laughs> over Harris, taking Allen over Alvey, taking Battle over Gore, taking Bueller, Arosa over Sterling Peterson, taking Castaneda over Johns, taking Dewodu over Trezano, taking Burial over Ninja Kawani, taking Davis over Stolyarenko, taking Almeida the Jailman over Marquez, taking Roe over Witt, taking Bondar over Gordon. Parlay, Jailman, Davis and Shavkat for plus 147 at one unit. Straight, Castaneda plus 155 at three quarter units. Battle, probably not. Bury you, maybe even, probably not. Uh, props, Davis by decision plus 105 half a unit. Shavkat inside the distance plus 100 half a unit. Soriano by decision plus 300 quarter unit. Parlate all three of those for plus 1,539 for 0.7 units for fun. Also took the Jailman round to plus 450. If I have any other ads, I'll post them or uh, let you know, as well as recap these on my pre-show I do with Aaron Bronstetter on Twitter. Uh, check out my Odds Checker article, my main event breakdown on Chunky. Thanks for the five-star ratings and reviews, the shares, at the PYM Podcast on all social platforms. I don't pollute your feed. Feel free to use the click-throughs or the PayPal secure donation link to support the podcast at MixedMarshallAnalyst.com, which you can also find links or get at me on Twitter at DanTomMMA. Until next week, please be safe. Be good to one another. Don't be an asshole. Good luck on your picks and plays, and always protect your neck.